I'm Mike Green, public awareness officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Chris Solars and Matt Parisi, uh, who broke a record for traversing the New York subway system, hitting every stop in record time. Chris, can you tell us how you did that and how you used math to do it? Well, thank you, Mike. Um, yeah, we were very happy to succeed in our goal. What we did was we basically approached the, the process of figuring out the quickest route to navigate all the stops in the New York City subway system very systematically. About six months before um, the actual date, what we did was we first sorted all of the data of the 28 line into Excel format into something very usable. We used optimization software using graph theory, uh, using MATLAB to basically come up with a couple of possible routes and everything kind of converged towards one optimal route. However, what we did, once we had what we thought was right, then we implemented kind of a qualitative process on top of that. And the qualitative process was actually going out and visiting each of the stations, drawing little diagrams to see which stairwell was closest to which exit. And I took uh, meticulous notes. I wrote where we wanted to be in which car. We wanted to be in the front of the third car from the back, for example, which would be the closest to the stairwell, which would get us over to the southbound train for the next stairwell transfer, and so on and so on. Matt and I also did a practice route two times to make sure that what we did in the software simulations and what we did with um, all of our planning actually lined up with reality. And this obviously altered the, the route slightly. And the week before, the MTA threw us for a loop because on the Q train, there was two southbound stops that were not making uh, local stops. So we actually had to do a, a tiny little switch, uh, which didn't really affect much, but we had to be very careful about things like that. And then we just kept our fingers crossed on the big day, which was a Thursday when we left at 1.33 p.m. from Far Rockaway on the A train. We really were, were just hoping everything went smoothly because at that point it was really just a laundry list procedure of steps to go through. We hit all 468 unique stops, but we made a total of over 600 stops because at some point you simply have to backtrack. But basically the point was to try to make as many continuous non-transfers as possible Ideally, we'd like to go from the far end of one train to the far end of another because that obviously would be the fastest. We were really, really happy that everything came together. It's, it's kind of like anything. There's a lot of luck involved in something like this. Actually, on one of our practice runs, what would have been 18 hours into the event, our train skipped Canal Street, which is a really big transfer. It was about 4 in the morning, and there weren't many passengers, so it wasn't a big deal, but Canal Street was out of service for like one or two hours. We, when we tried to figure out if there was any possibility that we could divert our route, there, there really wasn't. So we just got lucky that that didn't happen on the on the real event, um, and everything went smoothly on, on the day. So we're still waiting to hear back from Guinness to make it official. However, we have a lot of documentation, uh, everything they wanted and more. So we're pretty confident that that will come through in a few months' time. And, and while you were doing it, I noticed in the picture that we have, it looks like Matt is keeping very careful tabs on, on what's going on, you know, during the time you actually did it. That's right. So the, the division of labor was, was pretty simple. What Matt did, uh, we both had watches that were set to the second, to the U.S. atomic clock, and Matt wrote down exactly when the doors opened, the hour, minute, and second, to signify the arrival on a certain platform, and he wrote down the hour, minute, and second when the doors closed, signifying the departure from that station. And since we did over 600 stops, he wrote down over 1,200 unique times. During this same time, I was taking a photo of every single platform to prove that we actually did stop on the local platform. And there's a timer on my camera, which will sync up perfectly to the time that Matt wrote down. 
in addition to that, in between when the doors were opening and closing, I was getting a witness signature from at least one or two people on every single train, and that witness would write down the time and the train number that they were on. That was also writing down the train number. So by these three pieces, they triangulate really well, and that's how we know for sure that basically that there can be no dispute that we made every single local stop. And so no Rosie Ruiz situation for you. <laughs> that's right. Is a huge problem, and so you had to break it down into sub-problems using, you know, sub-graphs and, I guess, sub-matrices, too. That's exactly right. I'm going to hand it over to Matt. So, right, so initially we started with, actually, the test case that I used ended up working well throughout the problem. So what we tried to do is create very small graphs to begin with and simply ran millions of what I call them the sub-graphs which had anywhere from you know, zero to five nodes. So if, if we were looking for starting points, obviously it always made sense. If we started at the end of one line and we wanted to move five nodes, the optimal route was always going in a straight line, one through five. Obviously it never makes sense to backtrack and then go get back to node five. So by creating that first algorithm, which I simply use as a test, as a way to make sure I always pulled the optimal subgraph, so what happened is, so then I, I would basically record, you'd have point one and the start point and the end point, which later on would be kind of randomly generated. And then as we would generate, simply just, just run those at random, we would mine through for the start points and the end points. So that would give us a, a kind of a massive collection of these subgraphs, which then you know I, I redefined as simply the start and the end point and the distance between simply was the sum of the time. This wasn't a pretty process because I wasn't quite sure how it was all going to fit together. So, and obviously with more manpower and more time and the need for more precision, I would have probably done it a little bit differently. But we were always looking for, when we were creating these subgraphs or even using stringing multiple subgraphs together, if you came to a spot where you had no other options, then you backtracked. Whereas it may have been optimal to backtrack before we made it to the point where we we could go nowhere else. So the, the nodes are, are the stations. In a subgraph, would it be a whole line or just part of a line before it hit a crucial change point? Right. And, and I define them at different lengths. So there were ones that were simply made of two nodes, two stations, between here and you know, two, two points. I started out just doing between two and five and then linking those together. One of the articles mentions that you really, you know, you were serious about this, so every second mattered. And so at, at times, is it true that you would stand by the doors like sprinters or, or get in a stance so that you would make sure you went really fast? Yes, oh, of course, right. Did your fellow passengers give you funny looks when you did that, or did they realize what was going on? Well, no, I think uh, most people on the train had seen some articles on us. We, we were on some trains in the, in the afternoon, and, and everybody seemed to know who we were. I mean, that made it a lot of fun as well. And you had reporters waiting for you at the end. Yeah, well, and during the, and in the middle, there were people um, throughout. You were keeping careful track, so you knew that you were going to break the record? Yeah, right. We were pretty confident early on, I think. We were actually running about an hour ahead of our test run. We ended up giving all that time back. And that's partially because during our test run, we did things like stop for food, um, <laughs> stop and had dinner. So... Even with the test run, we beat the old record. We were pretty confident that if we went for 24 hours seriously, we would be well under. When you, people talk about constraints, sometimes they think that makes things worse for them. But a constraint, for example, if a line only ran at a certain time of day, that might, in a sense, make the problem easier because you had to go to that line during those hours. Right, and certain things during the modeling saved us a lot of time. For instance, the start time became very clear early that we had to start where we did. Starting at Far Rockaway was always the optimal. I mean, every time you were able to isolate something, 
in the model. It would drastically simplify the problem. And so a, a lot of times we'd run the simulations, and then when we would mine for the like sequences, it was always a relief when certain scenarios always came up as favorable um, mm -hmm. because we could simply treat them as moving from one station to the other. Yeah, both you and Chris, I think, said it was a lot of fun, right? It was, it was, even though it was a lot of effort, it didn't feel like work. Oh, it was a, well. I must say, at at about six a.m. the next morning, I had been up for a full twenty-four hours. We didn't really eat anything on the ride, and I started to feel like this isn't really fun anymore. <laughs> but it, yeah, it, that was that was actually the, a, a real challenge, and and your cognitive functions start to diminish drastically. You know, after you're awake for thirty hours or thirty-two hours, um, so that actually was a real a real challenge. Chris, I know that you, you yourself have gone through a lot of physical challenges, so you like this type of thing. Yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment for things <laughs> like this, for sure. Matt was saying that you guys knew you were going to break the record, so you knew that you were going to knock it down by two hours while you were doing it? Well, best case scenario, we were going to beat it by three hours, and we predicted we would finish in 22.45, considering reasonable things that would happen, and we actually finished in 22.52, so... All of our modeling and guesstimation and putting in all the realistic assumptions got us within seven minutes of the goal. We had done the whole route in sections twice before. So we actually knew very, very closely how to estimate each leg of this journey. So when we added it all together, we were, we were very confident. Weren't there some routes going to change, and so you had to do it you know, right about when you did it? That's exactly right. With all the MTA budget cuts right now, as of um, two weeks ago, they, they cut out some of the lines. There were five outer borough lines that now have drastically reduced nighttime service. So it, it would be very, very difficult even to do what we did now. I, I bet you if we ran, because the, the schedules have all changed and they've, they've changed for the worst. So that's why we, we had a little bit of a rush to, to get it all done as soon as possible. And we did. We nipped right under the, the service change cut, so we were happy with that. So, Chris, uh, thank you very much. That's Chris Solars and Matt Farisi, who uh, broke the record for visiting every stop in the New York subway system on every line in about 22 hours. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you soon.